Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional and the journey of learning that stretches across the full stack of technologies in today's modern data center. As always, my purpose here on the podcast is to share practical, usable, actionable, real-world information to help listeners along on their journey or to get them started on their journey. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know normally we'd be talking about a specific technology like you know, Azure or AWS or Kubernetes or whatever the case is, one of these technologies that we feel are really important for today's IT professionals to know and be familiar with. But um, today we're going to be taking a, a little bit of a different tack and we're going to be talking about learning. So we're going to be learning about learning. How's that? And uh, since so much of this show talks about learning new technologies and making them part of your skill set, I thought an episode in talking about learning would be really helpful. And in casting out about guests who have uh, sort of exemplified this process of continuing assimilating new information, one name came to mind for me, and I'm super excited that he was able to join me. So joining me on the podcast today is uh, Cody Bunch. Cody, thanks for joining me on the podcast. No worries. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. And um, you know, you and I have have known each other for quite some time, and I've you know watched sort of your evolution and growth, and you've shared with me some of your story. And I think it's uh, uh, you're you're a great person to be talking about this topic of ongoing growth and ongoing evolution um, as an IT professional. Um, for the listeners who may not be familiar with you, although I, I have to really kind of scratch my head at somebody in IT who wouldn't be familiar with you, um, for those who aren't familiar with you, maybe if you'll just take a second and share a little bit of your background and maybe some contact information where they could uh, you know, stalk you online. All right. Well, uh, let's start with the contact information. Uh, the easiest way to reach me is probably via Twitter. That's uh, at Cody underscore bunch. And then uh, Second to that is email is uh, bunchc at gmail.com. And I like I, I know and worry about the spam, but really it's it's OK. Reach out uh, if I don't get back to you quickly. I, I do endeavor to get back at least in time. Um, uh, beyond that, uh, blog.codybunch.com and then uh, the V Brown bag hashtag on Twitter is uh, if not me, you'll get somebody else that is also uh, not just focused on learning about learning, but uh, on helping others along that journey. Uh, so uh, that leads into the next little bit, a little bit about my background and so forth. I've been doing IT for uh, longer than I want to admit because I may date myself, right? Um, started out in some, let's see, what was my first IT gig? I was doing, I was doing uh, laptop repair for a school that had the first laptop program in the nation. And then uh, I've worked my way through Fiserv and some old, uh, old HP mainframes all the way up through uh, see, today is today. What am I doing today? Uh, today is OpenStack cloud kind of things, Kubernetes containers, all of the the various flavors of things that fit around that. Um, I think I think that covers your your question a bit there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's perfect. Thanks. Um, so that is uh, quite the quite the evolution, um, and uh, certainly along the way, you've had to. I would say you've you've had to embrace this idea of continuous evolution and continuous growth because nobody can, can really sort of make the, you know, the sort of transitions in technology without, without really doing that, or at least not make the transitions effectively. So um, why don't we kind of jump into the meat of, of our discussion today? And that is, you know, how are there things that IT professionals can and should be doing to help them with this process of, of continually assimilating new information. And so I, I let, let's start that discussion kind of talking about um, maybe if you'll share sort of at a high level what your overall process is when you approach something entirely new 
and then we can um, we can see you know where the conversation goes from there. Okay, so on the on the approaching something new because this has happened. Uh, in fact, Hart Hoover has a a great tweet out there. Is like in the last seven years we've had so many changes. How can you even plan for hardware refresh cycles? So uh, 2010 we had OpenStack. Uh, 2013 we had Docker. 2014 Kubernetes. Uh, June 2014, Kubernetes, uh, November 2014, Lambda, and it has only accelerated since. And so that got me thinking, how many more changes, right? So uh, like I bought one of the last GSX server licenses before VMware announced VMware server was going to be free, like within three days of getting through the PO process. Um, that was that was fun. And it's it's been an adventure ever since. Uh, so when approaching something new, um, it helps to have a good handle on the fundamentals. Um, like nobody, nobody worries about how the electricity gets to your house until it stops working. Right. Not everybody needs to be, uh, an energy engineer to, to understand these things, but understanding the basics of how it gets there, lets you start planning and building upon it. So, uh, having a good foundation, uh, you know, how, how to, how do IP networks work, uh, where does the network cable actually plug in? Because Lord knows how many times I've spent, excuse me, how many hours I've spent troubleshooting uh, my Kubernetes, my, my little Raspberry Pi Kubernetes cluster over my shoulder here in the last week when it was just like, oh, the, the power cable for my, my little eight port switch fell out. Oops. Right. So a good fundamental. How does DNS work? How does DHCP work? How do all of these things that live underneath your normal stack work? Um, it just makes everything having having a good foundation makes everything else easier to build upon um from there finding that next thing finding where the change is going to be or what's you know is problem the first and i i generally have my ear to the ground it used to be irc and i'm still in quite a few irc channels uh it's now like slack and twitter and uh like heck rss feeds aren't really dead but they kind of are but aren't you know uh so just like Watching, watching the the outskirts of of tech news to see, well, where where are where are things going? Um, on Twitter, you end up following a uh, a lot of the same folks, uh, and just watching, you know, well, where's where are the the groups of these people I've been following for ages jumping to now, right? So once you have that next thing in mind, uh, I've got a I've optimized my process over time for speed because. Like we talked about, uh, you know, how does how does one jump from OpenStack in 2010 to Docker in 2013 to Lambda in 2014? Um, you do that by being able to not get super emotionally invested in a technology and being able to jump from one to the next. And so, it, again, comes back to the fundamentals. So the, the, the three steps are uh, skim. Uh, and then you go for targeted depth and then you go for uh, some real depth. Uh, skimming is, you know, you... You take and assess all of the the source materials you can find in say 20, 25 minutes on that new technology, right? Uh, are there are there some books out there? Are there is, are there YouTube videos, uh, conference videos, blog posts, whatever, to get you a good idea of it, right? And so you use that to build your funnel of of what's going to come next for for targeted depth. The the skim is to just uh, become conversationally familiar, learn enough of the vocabulary so that you can start asking intelligent questions. Right? Uh, when you go to Google for something new, if you don't know the right vocabulary, you won't get the the right results in an answer. Right? Uh, when you're trying to find an expert in that space, if you're not 
if you're not communicating using that same vocabulary. So the the goal of skimming is to is to build a conversational uh, familiarity with the technology, right? Um, and then going from there to to targeted depth. So targeted depth is where you you go out and you purchase a, a bunch of the books, or you uh, you use one of your video training subscriptions or YouTube videos or so forth. Um, or you go out to some of these in-person events where they've got a, you know, somebody from your your skimming uh, piece. Uh, one of the names that came up over over a couple of your results as you were skimming the new technology, if they're speaking at an in-person event or if they've got a recorded video or a blog, uh, targeted depth is where you go and all those things that you found interesting the first time you, you take and you learn a little bit more about. Uh, and then you come back and you go for some real depth. So once you once you have a good idea of the mechanics of how things work, which is the goal of the the targeted depth, uh, you know, let's contextualize this a little bit for say uh, function as a service. I've been playing with uh, OpenFAS lately. All right. So being that I was a guy that uh, like I used to physically build the you know drop memory into servers, switch out drives, and so forth. The idea of I can write a little Python function that answers a web request like this. This was new and unfamiliar to me. So you, you learn the vocabulary, right? Uh, then you start building it and, you know, watching. Uh, so OpenFAS had a bunch of videos out at uh, KubeCon. Uh, Alex, Alex Ellis, who, who wrote it, uh, gave a good session there. Um, moving, moving into real depth, it's where you actually take a step back and start examining uh, source materials. Right. Uh, so skimming, you did a couple of Google searches, you read a couple of blog posts, maybe looked at the Wikipedia entry, uh, spent maybe a couple hours. Right. Um, I say a couple of hours. I often will end up not realizing where the time has gone and suddenly it's four in the morning and, uh, you know, oops. Um, but jumping from skimming to targeted depth, targeted depth can be, you know, like you set aside a couple hours in your in your schedule, either during the week or during the day, to actually start really focusing in on these things. Uh, real depth is where you, know, you you try to find the the RFCs for this. You try to find the 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 original academic papers, the the theory behind it, to to get you a really fundamental understanding of what you're working with. Um, you can get some of that through. Uh, through podcasts, uh, a lot of the authors and uh, brains behind the tech, the visionaries behind the tech, will they'll be on either their own podcasts or uh, a lot of the other podcasts. Um, you'll get a lot of depth from practitioners, uh, either via their own blogs or podcasts and so forth. Um, some conferences are better than others in that regard for uh, finding conference videos that that talk about that kind of depth as well. Um, but you're you're going to be focusing in on the uh, the nuts and bolts of how a thing actually works. So when a when a request hits that load balancer, what is that? How does that load balancer make that decision? Where does it send the request? Uh, once the request hits that next layer in the app stack, how does that flow down? So on and so forth. So technology agnostic, right? Um, you're going to to want to figure out how that technology's process works, right? So uh, back in the day, it was you know try to learn how vMotion works and how does it do that memory copy and what do you what all is going on there and where uh, and then it was storage vMotion, how is it copying blocks across the wire that way, so on and so forth, right? So you'll in the first two phases, you'll learn enough about what you need to learn to go for your your. Uh, real depth on it. And that 
that's a, a sort of cycle, right? So at each one of these layers, so in targeted depth, um, OpenFAS relies on Kubernetes. Well, if you haven't learned if you haven't learned Kubernetes or Kubernetes or Docker Swarm, or I think it, uh, I think you plug it into Mesos and a few others. But if those terms are unfamiliar to you, you make a little note to come back to them later, and you start that cyclical process again, right? Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, so I just want to kind of uh, you know condense down what I heard because I, 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 this process sounds a lot like sort of the one that I've established for myself, which is a bit of a validation because it's nice to see that somebody else has sort of arrived at the same conclusions. Um, but you know, first you want you want to be able to at least establish um, the term you used was a conversational familiarity. You know, at least understand the vocabulary, know what some of these terms mean, so that as you go out and you begin to try to um, uh, understand what you need to understand, you at least know some of the terms that are being used. Then once you've established that, um, and, and you know, the ways to do that, skimming articles, um, looking at where people are going, looking at, you know, sort of trends within technology. Um, once you've established that conversational familiarity, then go back and start um, really targeting sort of some of the mechanics of these things, leveraging that um, the vocabulary that you've built to be able to find and, and, un, and, and, con, and consume resources that will help you build that, you know, understanding of how the mechanics work along the way. Of course, you're making notes as you encounter new terms and new things um, that you need to go back and repeat this process for, and then building on those mechanics to really get an understanding of the theory and the fundamentals to establish real expertise, or at least uh, maybe not expertise, but a, a really strong foundational knowledge you'll, you'll take. And then you'll, you know, sort of dig deep with, you know, in-depth podcasts, in-depth presentations, um, you know, whatever the case may be. Does that sound roughly accurate? Yeah, and it. I, I want to note that at this point, we're still talking largely uh, um, time investment on the the reading and consuming, but no, uh, we haven't gotten into the the tactile hands on keyboard uh, piece. But that that also follows. So once you once you've gotten a a good familiarity and maybe a grasp of the fundamentals, and this. Like it's it's not a, a one two three piece. So you get into the lab somewhere in the middle of uh, of two or three, or maybe even as you're skimming, somebody's got like a, a little online quick start or something like that. But uh, hands on is fundamental to making it stick. Or you can watch all of the presentations in the world. Um, in fact, uh, one of my time management is a is a constant challenge, right? Um, so like, where do I find time to, to work out and do my, do my IT training and, you know, pick the kids up from school and, and just handle my day-to-day -day workload and all of these things. Right. Uh, so what I've been doing is I have an indoor trainer for my, for my bicycle and I put the a cloud guru, uh, video training up on one side of the screen, the bicycle video on the other. And I try to take care of two at once. Right. I'm not getting much depth there, but I am getting a passing familiarity. I am making note of, of terms and uh, ideas and bits and bobbles I wasn't exactly familiar with beforehand to look at when I have time later on down the road. Um, so we're talking about moving into the lab for all of these things. And the lab process works in very much the same way. You uh, skim. So you do the the quick start for whatever tech it is, right? You do the basic install so you get a get an idea of what good looks like. You poke around. Uh, can I spawn a new VM or can I make a new function as a service or can I log into the AWS portal and spawn a new uh, ELB or Lambda function? You know, what is that what is that zero to one look like, right? What is the quick 15 minute piece? Uh, then targeted depth is you start 
all of the pieces that you had in your targeted depth before that you found interesting, uh, you start tinkering with. So um, in targeted depth, I think depends a lot on your, uh, your perspective on things, right? If you were building something on top of a technology stack, you'll approach the labs you want to work on differently than if you were supporting the underlying technology stack, if that makes sense, right? So, uh, where where your concerns are will dictate your next move lab wise but you will you know so for me i generally end up uh i end up in the position of the the plumber or the electrician when things don't work so i will focus a lot on uh what happens when this breaks um and so i will move from the quick start into well how do you lay this out the hard way um how do you and then from there how do you automate it uh, are there automation tools available or not uh what are the breakpoints for that and then once i have it up and running uh where 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 log hooks come from what you know how does this thing communicate with itself like i know the theory says this but what what are the realities of this this world right um and then real depth is maybe not necessarily exploring it to the the level of fundamentals and doing packet captures and all that uh real depth in labs for me anyways is synthesizing that knowledge being able to being able to get out and uh do a speaking engagement either internally at work as a tech talk or a, a local user group a conference uh, a podcast you name it, being able to synthesize it and uh, present it back as a blog post, something of that nature, um, is when, hey, and yes, there's opportunities for for all of that along the way also. Um, but for me, that real depth comes when I'm able to, to say, talk to something with uh, with somebody else and help them along that path as well. Yeah, that, that comment about, you know, kind of sharing the information back later on in the process is something that we've heard um, a number of times from different guests. And I, I think it's a piece that a lot of people often overlook uh, in terms of really ensuring that your understanding of the knowledge and the ability to apply and and explain that knowledge to somebody else um, is really a key part of it. Now, there were there were two really interesting things that I wanted to pull out of, of your talk there. Um, one was sort of understanding what you're trying to achieve out of this learning process, like where your, where, I think the term you use, where your concerns lie, right? Um, and then the second was around the use of automation. So let, let's talk about the first one first, and that is like where your concerns lie. I think um, it's it's important, and, and I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I think it's really important as people go into this process, they can't learn everything, right? So if they get in there and they're say, say they're playing with, um, you know, we'll use OpenFast because you mentioned that, right? Say they, they want to become more familiar with functions as a service. So they're looking at OpenFast. They need to decide, you know, what is the, what is the primary objective that they're trying to get out of this? Is it, is it OpenFast um, and is it, you know, real experience there or is it the pieces that would support OpenFast? Because you're going to have to tackle both, but you don't necessarily have to spend a lot of time on both. Um, so I don't know. I mean, like, is that is that a... a an area that, that you have to deal with? I mean, is that like sort of a struggle that you have to address when you go through this stuff? Um, occasionally. And it's, uh, as our world has been shifting quite a bit lately, it's becoming a lot more prevalent. Like, uh, back when I started, like knowing how to, in, knowing how to install and set up a windows domain was really, uh, and you know, operating group policy was, was all I needed to know. And now, um, my infrastructure has gotten relatively boring and, you know, knowing relatively boring in that, like OpenStack is stable. Kubernetes is basically stable. Um, and you can, you can consume instead of like purchasing your hardware from 
uh, from whatever vendor, you can consume it from GCE or Azure or AWS or whatever provider of choice, right? So being able to to transition myself to think about the stuff that lives on top of, right? So uh, a couple of years ago, not knowing what a REST API was or how to, uh, how to write Ruby or Python or whatever, being able to, yeah, because my concerns had always been the the underlying pieces, uh, all of the bits that that live under the sub substrate, right? The uh, where do the pipes go? How do you know? How do you how do you get this thing up and operational? And what do you do when it falls over? Um, like none of that, all of that matters. But coming at it from the other perspective and understanding uh, what an application living on top of this thing looks and feels like and can can be written to and that actually ties into the automation piece some um back when i back when i got into this like you had some batch batch or bash scripting uh uh dos batch and windows vb script and batch scripting but it was not quite to the level that it is today where powershell is a is a great example of uh an automation scripting language console tool thing that is fairly robust. Um, back when I back when I was investigating some of the material around the uh, the VMware Orchestrator book, um, there weren't very many orchestration platforms out there. Like OpenStack was just kind of becoming a thing, and infrastructure as a service was stuff we were we were talking about, but you know, everyone was still trying to, to bolt together with either orchestrator or lab manager, or, uh, uh, there were a couple other really expensive paid for options and not a whole lot in, in alternatives, right. Being able to learn when the automation breaks, uh, you know, enough bash or enough Python or enough Ruby or enough go to, to be able to look and see where it's breaking has been pretty fundamental. All yeah, right, that that yeah. answer was kind of all over the place. No, no, that that's that's fine. So, I mean, I think I think I got. I'm going to come back to the automation piece in just a second because I think that's a slightly different approach. I want to I want to look at that with, but but no, I, I agree that that's um, the focus of our concerns. And I think a lot of the listeners on the show are, are probably going to be infrastructure background folks. And um, I agree that you know the nature of infrastructure is changing, and as a result, you know we are kind of being pulled in a different direction, having to be pulled up the stack, so to speak, to be more aware of how applications see and consume resources because sort of the, you know, the, the deep stuff that we were doing before in terms of, you know, building servers and, and networks and all that, a lot of that stuff is now being provided to you, uh, hyper-converged or, you know, sort of, uh, you know, V-blocks or whatever the case may be, or public cloud, um, where you don't have to get into that. You just have to look at how you want to, you know, logically arrange it and then and put it together. But, um, Talking about the automation side of it specifically, my, my question was more around you would be beneficial to someone who's learning something new to to look at automation early on, and yet using that automation early on almost feels like a double-edged sword because while it might help them get something up and running faster so that they can understand what it does or how it works or how it interacts with other things, um, it also sort of hides some of that information that I think may be useful for them uh, as they begin to dig deeper, as they sort of go through that process of first, you know, um, looking at something at a high level and then digging a little deeper and then going a little deeper still. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? So um, that's why I say, like, start with the the quick start. Uh, a lot of these will have like a curl pipe pseudo bash, which 
like only do that in lab equipment anyways. Um, but that, that quick start will get you something up and running. And so you know what good looks like, right? Um, it gives you a look at the technology that may not be what is correct in production, but is at least an up in operational environment, right? So if you're, if you're exploring something net new yourself and you're trying to build it up the hard way, not knowing what that end state looks like or what an operational one of these things is, um, makes the, the build it from scratch pretty difficult, right? Like, uh, I never did the, the Linux from scratch piece, but I did, uh, I guess it's a stage zero gen two bootstrap and, uh, not knowing what, you know, having come from a, a windows 90, 95 ish, 3.11 for work groups background. I, I, I'm mixing up my errors there. I think it was 95, 98 was, was right around then. Um, doing this, not knowing what an end state of a working Linux system looked like, I probably spent more time doing that than was needed. Right. And so as we're, as we're all busy professionals or folks getting, getting ready, uh, to go into the professional world, time management is always, a always a challenge. So knowing what, knowing what the, the finished good end state looks like is why you start with a, a quick start or an automated piece. Um, but your second goal when you're doing the targeted depth is to, you know, maybe still not build it out to a full on, you know, 800 node cluster thing and, and all these pieces, but to build one the hard way. Um, and the, the build it the hard way is, well, you learn what you learn how to deploy HA proxy and memcache and all of these these pieces and bits and bobbles that uh, that accompany the technology you're trying to to build or to put out there, um, and that way you learn a how they all plug in and you know what the automation is doing when it puts those in there. Uh, you learn a, a lot about the the tunable parameters and uh, the various bits and bobbles about how how to properly put the thing together and where it breaks. And that way, when your automation explodes later, um, if, if you'll excuse me for being crude for a moment, like uh, automation doesn't get you out of the business of shoveling doo-doo. It, you know, if you do it wrong, it will just shovel it faster, right? <laughs> there, yeah. there are better ways to say that, but... Um, no, no, that, that's, that's fine. Um so I um there was a couple interesting a uh, couple interesting things that I want to come back to and real quick um you mentioned time management a couple times and I've had some some listeners contact me about time management and say that they really really struggle with time management trying to do all these things and I know that you shared earlier sort of you know the idea of um of doing some of that skimming content while you're maybe while you're driving or while you're exercising or while you're you know whatever right so killing two birds with one stone so to speak um but real quick, and then I want to move into sort of a discussion on tools um, a bit. But real quick, um, are there any other sort of um, things that you've learned along the way around time management that you think would be helpful for listeners? Because this is um, a, a, a time-intensive investment, at least in my experience. So are there things that you've learned that help people balance the the work duties during the day and picking up the kids from school and, you know, making dinner and still having to, you know, to keep their, their journey alive. So you mentioned, um, investment there. And I want to key off of that word for a minute because that's, that is fundamental, right? Is never forget that what you are doing is an investment in your future, right? In, or even the continuation of your present, right? Um, our, our industry is such that, uh, it's very hard to have 
a long tenure anywhere in the same set of technologies you started with, right? Um, my my dad's not doing COBOL programming anymore. He's a quality assurance guy for a, uh, uh, they do, air, they manufacture like itty bitty parts for, for airliners, right? You know, with tolerances of uh, sub nanometer kind of stuff. Um, fascinating in its own right, but uh, the the realizing that you are making an investment in in yourself, um, and that will help you balance that time trade off. Uh, you know, do I want to go? Do I want to go pick the kids up from school? It'll help with the hard decisions. Like, uh, do I want to go to the school performance today, or you know, do I need to cram extra for this cert exam so that I can get the the five, 10, 20, 30% raise or the new job or whatever, right? Like what is that, what does that balance look like for you? But understanding that you are making an investment, right? Um, as far as uh, time management techniques, the, the one I found most effective is the, is the 50 cent notebook technique, which is you know, take one of those little uh, memo pads from the CVS or the Walgreens with a little spiral on top, you know, no more than 50, 75 cents, right? And every time you context switch for anything during a day, just make a note of the time and what it is you have context switched on, right? Um, at the end of a week, you'll start to have a good idea of where you spend a lot of your time doing things. Uh, and then, you know, you review this and you're like, well, was any of that a value add activity? Can I, can I start tapering some of that down and spending some of that time doing other things? Uh, so, you know, how much time do you spend watching TV, right? Are you watching TV for entertainment or are you watching TV to, to hang out with your significant, significant other family, kids, and, you know, investing in that family relationship? Um, so I've largely cut a lot of my TV watching out. Uh, if you come to my house, we don't even have televisions in the common spaces uh, because when we are doing family activities, we focus on being there and being present for one another. It also helps eliminate distractions around homework time and all this stuff, right? Um, uh, during the day, uh, how much time do you spend checking Twitter? How much time do you spend checking Slack or, or so forth? Um, I've got a blog post out there on how to, how to manage email, uh, but basically I try to manage most of my my, uh, I'm doing air quotes on an audio recording, uh, my social interactions, my Twitter, my, my, my Skypes, my Slacks, my IRCs and whatnot around that same methodology, which, uh, you check email maybe once in the morning and once in the afternoon. And then the idea is that if something is on fire, somebody will either text you, call you, or hit you with one of your more instant pieces. Now that doesn't always work. A lot of folks get, uh, alerts through the emails and so forth. But the idea is to, when you when you are focused on that task, stay focused there, and then move to the next thing, and give yourself a lot more time to do. It, or what am I trying to say? It, it will give you a lot more time to to work around or on the the things that you want to focus on, versus some of the extraneous stuff. And that's the little notebook will help you get a good feel for what that is. So it sounds like you know one of the first places that people can start if they're wrestling with time management is using this technique, you know, grabbing a little notebook and, and making a note when you context switch to a different task um, is using this technique to, to first get a better understanding of where their time is going. Um, it's sort of like, um, you know, you hear, uh, you know, a lot of these folks talking about personal finance and they say, first, you have to know, you know, what you're spending your money on before you can decide how you're going to, you control your money and, 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 and 
you know, handle uh, financial matters. It sounds like that's very applicable here as well. It's first you need to know where your time is going, what, what you're spending your time on before you can really begin to streamline and optimize that time to make uh, whatever it is you're doing with it most effective and, and to allocate that time towards, you know, the investments in your career or the investments in your family or, or significant other relationships, or whatever the case may be. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I, I totally agree with that. And I think that's a, that's a great thing to, to do. I like the idea of just grabbing a little notebook and just making a note um, because I think that's something that most people can pick up pretty easily. And it's not, you know, a lot of overhead and, and um, you know, I've talked before about when it comes to changing habits and adopting new things that making that new thing or that new habit as easy as possible often helps with m- making it a core part of what you're doing. Um, all right. So we've got, um, you know, roughly, uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes left um, on, on the show. I want to make sure that we, we get to the next portion, which is kind of around um, any, any tools that you may have found useful. And I know we've talked about some of the before already, uh, but as we look at the process that you've described, the sort of three-step process, right, which is um, first, you know, sort of assimilating information at a high level and then taking another slightly deeper pass and then going for a very, a very deep pass again and then mirroring that with some hands-on to really cement it. So sort of a high-level hands-on pass where you're leveraging some automation, quick start uh, sort of stuff, and then going a deeper pass. I and mean, then again, doing a much deeper sort of thing. Along the way, I'm sure that you're, you're needing to gather information here. So from a perspective of taking notes or documenting what you're doing, um, you know, do, do, you, do you do that electronically? Do you do that with sort of, you know, paper notebooks. I know some folks are absolutely religious about pen and paper and having little notebooks and some folks are not. And so I'm just curious what, what you found works best for you over the course of this process. Um, so the answer is yes. Um, for, for note-taking, I've got two, two basic approaches. Uh, I've detailed the electronic note-taking piece in a blog post and I'll send that to you for the, the show notes. Um, I basically have a, a rake file that has a couple of uh, markdown templates uh, so for the call today, I've got a template for call notes and, you know, it's, it's got uh, bridge information, call organizer, a, a little section for some background on the call, uh, some space for, uh, uh, tags or categories, and then just a spot for me to, to fill in notes. Right. And I've got that for, uh, say if I, if I'm doing an interview, if I've, if I'm doing a coffee roast or if I'm just learning a new thing, the, uh, that rake file lets me put it out in Markdown. Markdown lets me easily turn it into a blog post it, or uh, package it up as a Word doc or package it up as a PDF for uh, internal consumption. Uh, it translates fairly well to most internal, uh, like it translates fairly well into uh, wiki markup and so on and so forth. So Markdown gives me that fairly universal format. And then it uh, it's it feels very much like the way I started taking notes at the beginning of my career, which is to have a, a, a notepad window open where I would just put plain Jane notes in and then uh, used to have Google desktop search when that was still a thing that uh, you just type in a few characters and it finds the file that has those particular notes. Well, now you have a uh, spotlight or uh, the built-in window search that'll kind of do that for you. And so you finding and searching your notes becomes much easier when they're all plain text. Um, on the, the pen and paper front, I have actually I have a Baron Fig uh, Squire is the pen, and uh, oh, I'm going to get the name of the, the notebook wrong, but they're they're hardcover notebook, and I keep that nearby at all times. Um, 
the the text notes are great for uh, as I'm doing it, as I'm going through the process. Uh, it also gives me a lot of copy and uh, the ability to go back and copy and paste things that I have done. Um, that also translates well into blog posts or uh, if you're deploying something across eight different nodes and you're doing it by hand the first time, copy and paste is your friend. Um, but for for real depth or real retention, um, I don't find the text notes work as well or text. The electronic notes work as well for me. So I have the the pen and paper. So if I'm if I'm going for at the real depth levels, if I, I, I will hand draw the network diagram out or the process diagram out, I will hand draw the circuit diagram. I will hand draw. Uh, I will try to make my own little conceptual map of things or take notes about what I think are think are important as I'm going through. Uh, if I have a physical book on the uh, on the subject and my the latest one I'm working through is uh, it's actually two of them. One is evidence based training methods and the other is uh, concurrency and go. Um, I have the, the dead tree copies uh, so that I can make annotations out in the margins. Um, you know, not not always useful for going back and rapidly cross-referencing, but it helps as you're going for that real depth to cement, uh, like that connection between hand, uh, hand, eye and, and mind. It just, instead of just one or two connections in the mind, it helps that that tactile with the, the pen and the paper helps me make, uh, make that connection, uh, connection with a little bit more depth. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Um, I think the area, uh, um, that, that I personally struggle with, and I also carry a, a physical notebook around. And, and of course, you know, there's no secret that I'm a fan of Markdown and use that for almost everything that I do. Um, but I, I carry a physical notebook around as well. But the real challenge that I've had is finding um, sort of the finding the delineator, like what makes sense to write down physically and what makes sense to capture electronically. And it sounds like where you've settled on that is, you know, um, sort of the the high level um, stuff is electronic and the really in-depth stuff, foundational, fundamental pieces that provide sort of a, uh, a bigger impact, if you will, are the, are the paper stuff. Does that sound kind of where you've landed? That, that sounds about right. The, the paper is to help me process and understand at that depth, not necessarily for regurgitation. Right. Uh, so um, when giving a presentation, speaker notes are not necessarily for the audience. They're cues for the speaker so they can remember what they were going to talk about, when they were going to talk about it, and so forth, right? Um, so they may not always make sense to be consumed by a third party, whereas most of my my text notes, uh, I don't necessarily always take them with that perspective, but they translate fairly well from my shorthand in, in electronic form into something that's consumable by somebody else. Got it. Got it. And and the stuff that you're you're doing uh, in paper is more for yourself rather than for elect for for external consumption. Or, or I mean, it could be external consumption, but it doesn't necessarily translate as well. It's more like it's more like as you learned, it indicated speaker notes. You know, it's to remind you yeah. of of pieces. Right. Okay, that makes sense. And I think that's a that's a pretty logical place to sort of break it down. The way I'm I'm sort of conceptualizing this is is sort of like volume goes electronic because that's that's easy, right? It's much easier for a lot of us to sit at a, at a keyboard and, and generate a volume of text. But the really impactful stuff is where you want to go for that deep, strong connection that seems to be, um, in my own experience and in your experience as well, seems to be better associated with taking a pen and a piece of paper and a notebook and, and writing that down or drawing it or sketching it or whatever, whatever that looks like for you. 
Yeah. And keep in mind that that's not hard and fast. That's that's even for me, it's pretty fluid. Like there'll be days or weeks or months where I don't look at the notebook at all, the paper notebook at all, because I've, Again, coming back to that context switching, going to a pen and paper to do a context or context switching to do the pen and paper is a it's a costly context switch. Whereas like I can I can alt tab or uh, command tab over to uh, Sublime or Atom or whatever text editor I happen to have open and just continue to mark down the notes. Right. So it's it's kind of fluid. Yeah, yeah, sure. Of course. I mean, that makes perfect sense. And I think that's something else that's really important for, for listeners is to understand the the expense, if you will, of these context switches and 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 plan accordingly. You know, if you're in the middle of of getting through something, you know, and you're you're really sort of in your focus, in your zone as you're reviewing some technology, um, you know, it may be better to to uh not do a context switch over to pen and paper, but instead, as you point out, just a an alt tab or a you know, command tab or whatever your keyboard shortcut is for your operating system, and then just capture that thought in, in electronically. And then later on, when it makes more sense, you can go back and do that. I do find that it's far easier and faster for me to capture graphical concepts um, in, on pen and paper when it makes sense, given the context switch, than it is to fire up something like an OmniGraphle or a Visio or whatever the case may be and, and arrange everything out. I mean, there's value in that at some point, yes, but um, in the in the learning process, it feels like you know you need to. I think as you mentioned earlier, you sort of need to optimize for speed and efficiency. All right, so that's um, that's a, a, a it's been a great discussion. I want to begin to wrap things up now um, so that we don't keep listeners too terribly long. But it's been great information all along the way. Um, as we prepare to close, I was wondering, Cody, you know, are there any sort of final thoughts? Um, you know, any sort of closing closing pieces or, or, or parts of advice that you would give to listeners around building sort of, you know, their ideal learning process um, that we haven't, uh, you know, haven't already uh, touched on or, or talked about. I would say just to just to remember that it is an investment and you you are making trade offs. So as you're like, if you get into this time management thing and you find out like, well, I'm wasting a bunch of time is not wasting, but the areas where you're spending a bunch of time, maybe some of those things are more valuable to you in that in that cost analysis of your of your time and where you're spending it and so forth. Um, just remember what you are trading off. Um, and then just don't be too, too dead set or too upset or, you know, don't be afraid to throw something away mid stride and move on to the next thing. Right. Um, I was getting to a depth five, six years ago, something like that. Um, I was getting to a depth with, uh, with ESXi where I could, I could tell you what kernel registers had, had died when it, given piece of, you know, that's a, a depth of knowledge that you, you get from so much time spent on the front lines, uh, with, uh, supporting these things. And then I, I jumped into a net new technology. Um, so yes, the, the fundamentals I developed in one helped carry over to and troubleshoot with the next, but don't be afraid to, to throw out a lot of the, the learning and process and time you like, don't get caught in this sunken cost fallacy of all the learning you just did, uh, the world in, in tech moves very quickly and you'll need to do this so many times that if you get caught up on it, you'll, you'll only end up hurting yourself. Now that makes, that makes sense. Um, and you know, in a, in a, in an industry where things are constantly changing and changing very, very quickly, we do have to recognize that while it is, um, sometimes scary to do so, we have to let go of past expertise and build that, that next area of expertise. And we have to continually do that and this process of churning through new information and assimilating it and making it part of your overall skill set 
Um, and then moving on to the next thing, I think is just such an important aspect of, of what um, we need to cultivate as um, IT professionals who want to have an ongoing career in IT for, you know, as long as we possibly can. And, um, you know, uh, uh, we'll close out here in just a second, but I wanted to just kind of come back to your, your point about investments and trade-offs. And I think it's really, really important, you know, folks, you, you hear us talk about, you know, spending time in the lab and, and trying new things, right? But, you know, you have to weigh that in the overall investment. And if you've got, if you've got a family and you've got kids and, and that sort of thing, you know, make sure you make the right choice that's right for your family and, and for you. Um, and that's, there's no hard and fast rule because everyone's different, but just, you know, as, as Cody said, you know, be aware of what you're trading off because there are, there are trade-offs involved. And when, when you are making these trade-offs, um, at least discuss it with some of the other stakeholders. So if you have a significant other or some kids and, uh, or friends or hangouts or what, whatever your interactions outside this fear are, uh, even in the, even in the work context, like, uh, can I get four or five hours a week to work on this new thing? Um, discuss it with all of the the folks that are interested and have ties to your time. Uh, so in the, in the context of family, like if I spend six more hours uh, a week in, in the, in the space between times, if I start missing, if I start missing school engagements or whatever, like this is the outcome, but are you guys okay with that? Right. Cause it's, it's not just you involved in, in some of these decisions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap up. Um, so, uh, Cody, once again, why don't you just share, um, online contact info so that people can, you know, follow you on Twitter or subscribe to your blog or whatever the case may be. So, uh, at Cody underscore bunch on Twitter, blog.codybunch.com is the, uh, is the blog. And then bunch C at Gmail is the email address. And then, uh, we've only tangentially mentioned V Brown bag, but I think it's, it's worth a mention too. Um, because that's pretty heavily focused on helping people learn new technologies. And that's, um, that's available at uh, what vbrownbag.com. Is that right? Uh, vbrownbag.com. Uh, it's got its own YouTube channel. Um, just search for v vbrownbag on YouTube. Uh, it'll come right up and that's got coursework, uh, by practitioners for practitioners on just about everything. Uh, Cisco networking, VMware technologies, Kubernetes, Docker. Uh, we're doing some serverless stuff this week. You name it. Okay. Awesome. That's, I think that, and that's a great resource. I think listeners, you should, if, if the content that's being produced there makes sense for you, that's definitely an, uh, something you should take advantage of. So um, great. Awesome. Thanks so much, Cody. I really appreciate you being on the show. I think you've provided listeners with a, a wealth of information that they can go back and apply um, to their own learning processes um, and help optimize that process. Listeners, that's all for we have for today. Thanks so much for joining me and Cody today on the Full Stack Journey podcast. If you enjoyed the show, We'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute and uh, supply a review on iTunes. Um, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, um, feel free to contact me. We do have sponsorship options available to help cover the cost of hosting and editing and all that wonderful jazz that goes into producing a podcast. Um, if you're interested in interacting with us online, you can uh, contact the podcast at FSJ Podcast. That's at Full Stack Journey, FSJ Podcast on Twitter. You're also welcome to contact me, Scott Lowe, your host. Um, I'm available on Twitter as at uh, Scott underscore Lowe, or you reach my website, uh, blog.scottlow.org, and, and uh, show notes and the episode uh, will be available on the Packet Pushers website. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Have a great day. 